Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. You're awesome. It's cool. I can shout. There we are. Okay, hopefully this will work for the whole time. Hey, guys back there. Sorry my back is to you. Um, Well, without further ado, I'm going to introduce myself and my friends up here with me. Um, And then I'll intro our topic, kind of like Sierra um, already did, but give you a little more context, if you will. So my name is Christy. I um, live in Athens. I actually served with the campus ministry of Crew for about 10 years, um, and I, yep, thank you, shout out. Uh, I served here for about eight, so I see some familiar faces, yeah, some mainly staff, um, but it's really fun to be back. I haven't been on the stage since pre-pandemic, so it's pretty weird. Um, and yeah, I have a husband and two dogs that I like. They're pretty cute. Uh, my name's Carrie Kennedy, and I was with the campus ministry for about 16 years and then switched to another ministry within Crew. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am single and travel the world. The dream. You can't travel the world as a married person. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Ashley, and I serve on staff with Athletes in Action, which is the sport branch of Crew here at UGA. Um, this is my seventh, sixth, seventh, I lost count, year on staff. Um, and I am married. My husband's not on staff. He's a barber. And we have a five-month-old little boy. And he's pretty cute. He's, he's pretty cute. really cute. Um, yeah, so I didn't mention I now serve with the same ministry that Carrie serves with, with Jesus Film. So I actually oversee um, the South Asia team doing women's strategies. And I heard that there's a lot of people signed up for the um, South Asia Summer Project, which is so exciting. If you have any questions, reservations, hesitations, please find me. I live in Athens. We can get coffee. I would love to talk to you about South Asia and the need there. But um, without further ado, getting into our topic. So we are going to be talking about answering the question, does Christianity denigrate women? And if you are in the room and you're hearing that, maybe your ears are perking up, or maybe you're kind of like, ah, cool, whatever. Either you might be thinking that if you're a guy or if you're just not really concerned about the topic. And I would just challenge the men in the room to not check out. This is a conversation for men and women. This is an issue for men and women to pay attention to. Um, I shared earlier with the program team, some of my best advocates in the church and in ministry settings have been men. Um, And so I would love for the men to kind of really try to not check out if you're tempted to. So with that being said, I would love to just start by posing the question to y'all. And we're also going to have kind of a discussion, kind of like red couch vibes, if you know what I'm talking about. So um, we're just going to have a discussion. You guys are a part of that discussion as you listen. So yeah, what would you guys say? Does Christianity denigrate women and why or why not? I think one of the complications can be it's what we've viewed in the churches, whether we've grown up in them or been influenced by them. It's like a 
the church is Christ's bride, but at the end of the day, it is run by broken people. And so the impressions and the interactions and what you've heard, taught, seen could go against what some things say in scripture. And I think even as I've looked at this topic myself, I often have to come back to God's word. How does Jesus interact with women? And how do I see God interacting with women? And one of the things that I see most of all is Jesus elevating women to, to have status before him, that he is fighting for them, that he welcomes them in, and he does not keep them away. And so I don't believe it does, mainly because of what I see in Scripture. I think also from a Western viewpoint, we can think, oh gosh, women don't have a seat at the table, but when I go to different parts of the world, you would be amazed at the seats that we have at the table where other cultures do not. And again, I think that also speaks in to how we view things is what is our culture saying? So why, what is our, why is our response what it is? So again, going back to who is Jesus and how does he interact with women specifically? And not just going off of what you've been told or what you've heard. How do you see it in scripture? Um, because for myself, honestly, maybe up until a couple years ago, I may have checked out in this conversation as a woman in this conversation. Um, because when I think about my upbringing in church, I grew up in a um, really big black Baptist church in the South. I didn't see women up front. I didn't see women leading at all. Not in Sunday school, not in Bible study, not in the pulpit. Like, I just never saw women leading. And it wasn't until I got into full-time ministry that I started to get opportunities to lead. And then I started to really think, oh, I'm not even sure I've seen a woman lead before, but here I am leading. And so to piggyback off the point of the importance of what scripture says, our experiences oftentimes are all that we have to go off of. And so I'm really growing in this area as a woman who is in leadership. Like, okay, what does Jesus, what does the Bible, what does God have to say about this topic um, to help me to challenge myself and other women around me like we do have? A seat at the table, but we may not even realize that as women. So, yeah. Yeah, I would, I mean, I just totally agree with what you guys said. And even Carrie, as you were sharing, I just thought about my experience. So I've ser been serving with Jesus Home for about two years now, um, working in South Asia. If you guys are have any level of famili familiarity with South Asia, South Asian culture, women are, are not valued, um, especially to the, to the extent that we are in a Western society like ours. Um, and so to see women come to faith in South Asia and, and hear them and watch them realize the value that Jesus places on their life that maybe their husband, the society, their family hasn't placed on their life, I mean, it's transformational. Um, and so that was really eye-opening for me to watch because I've often felt similar to you, Ashley, as, as far as you know, I didn't often see women up front in my upbringing um, growing up in a Presbyterian church. And, you know, I don't think we're going to have a conversation about denominations. That's not our point tonight. Um, but it wasn't until I, I was on staff and started get, getting challenged to different levels of leadership um, where I, I kind of was just like, I don't know what I think, but I'm going to step into it. And the Lord really met me there. Um, and I'll say um, I led with Alan Goddard here at the University of Georgia for about six years and he was my biggest cheerleader champion supporter and so um especially for the guys in the room if you have like thoughts or feelings or questions as as um we're talking that bubble up he would be a great resource for you guys um because he's just thought a lot about this and he 
um, yeah, he just models this really well from a male perspective. So, um, but I wanted to, to turn to the S word, submission. So we see that in scripture. What are, we, what are, our, what are our thoughts? I'm just going to start with the word. And this is a passage that tends to get brought up all the time when it comes to the S word. Um, and this is Ephesians 4. Um, I'm going to start with, nope, this is Ephesians 5. I'm going to start with verse 21. It says, and further, which means we need to read a few verses up before, um, but submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord which is typically where we stop reading, but there's more. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious, as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And it goes on even more. And so, again, this is a passage of scripture, not a passage, a verse that I've heard um, repeated time and time again. And all I've heard growing up is like, wives, submit to your husband, submit to your husband, submit to your husband. So before I was married, I was like, I don't know if I want to be married because I'm not trying to submit to this man, not fully grasping what that even means to submit and even now that I'm married going on three years I'm still struggling to grasp what it means to submit but I love how the first verse of this passage says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ it says that first before it gets into the role of the wives and before it gets into the role of the husbands we are called to be holy. We're called to resemble that of Jesus in marriage. And so if we're submitting to Christ first, if I'm submitting to Christ, if my husband's submitting to Christ, it's submitting to Christ, it's going to be easier for me to submit to him because I'm submitting to him out of reverence for the Lord because he's going to fail me. He's going to make mistakes and same vice versa with me and him. Um, and so again, I think these passages just challenge me to really look at my relationship with the Lord first um, in those moments when I'm struggling in this area um, even when because this is a command it doesn't say submit to your husband when he is following Jesus it submit period so even when he's out of line I'm still called to submit and when I'm out of line I'm still called to submit when I'm out of line he's still called to submit um, or love me as Christ loves the church but again, it's all rooted in the ways that we follow Jesus. And so um, I had another point, but I just lost it. But I'll stop there. So this doesn't apply to me because I'm single. That's not true. Um, I think I wanted to point that out because I think one thing that culture-wise growing up, the dynamic that I <clears throat> would find myself in, a few phrases that I've heard along the way, um, dear brother in Christ saying, well, you need to submit to me because I'm a man. And I'm like, I'm not married to you. Um, but those things kind of resonate and they kind of get like wedged in. And so it begins to build a rift between me and my brothers. 
And I think there's a reality of how I interact with my brothers in Christ. And regardless of my marital status, the command or the, 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 the call to submit to one another, that means submitting to both of these women and walking in forgiveness if I don't agree with something. And maybe it's having a side conversation with somebody I work with to say, hey, the way you communicated that stung. Can we talk about that? Or like, hey, did you mean to leave me off that email because I'm the only female in the group? Like, so I, th I think that's one of the things that I want to underline on the submission word. Uh, I remember it was my first winter conference as a student. The speaker spoke about submission, and she was a single woman as well. But she said, when you get down into the word of submit and submission, it's coming up under. And I want to come up under Christ above all else. And as he calls me to live that out, if I am married or not, I still... I don't get a free pass to be like, I am free. I don't have to submit to anybody. I still submit to those that I live out and walk with. So I think I was just like, I think that's a reality of we're not absolved of certain passages just because it's not our marital status. I think there's a reality of I primarily work with all men. Literally half the time I'm on calls, I'm like, well, yep, only female. Got it. And it's just the reality of, like, I want to be gracious and honoring, but then they are also gracious and honoring to me. That's so good. And, Carrie, I think as you were talking, the um, passage in Philippians 2 came to mind, um, which I think goes really hand-in-hand um, hand really beautifully with this Ephesians 5 passage, which is just um, Paul exhorting us to consider, um, consider the other person as more, um, I, like, totally butchering this verse, but basically it's better than, better than ourselves. So humbling ourselves before other people. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, to your point, like this, this imagery that Paul uses in Ephesians is he's just using marriage as a picture for the gospel. He's not applying, he's not lifting up marriage as the ideal. He's lifting up the gospel and using marriage as the picture. Um, and so I think that's so important. We so often, especially in the South, read that verse and we're like, okay, wives stay at home. Cool. If I, listen, if my husband listen. told me that, I'd be like, we're going to have some counseling words because we have a problem. And I think that's the other thing that I would love for us to kind of touch on. Of I think we see a picture of a woman in scripture um, or, or maybe we perceive a picture of women in scripture that often isn't reality. And um, this book, Confronting Christianity, was one that I think all of us read in preparation for um, tonight. And, and the author mentions that even in Proverbs 31, which is like kind of the penultimate woman's passage, like this is what women should be, um, the woman is working outside of the home. And so even just for, if you're a woman in the room or you're a person in the room, just for you to hear that, that scripture has women in all sorts of vocations. Um, and I think that alone shows us that Christianity does not denigrate women. Um, we see women being some of the first apostles to follow Jesus. They were supporting them out of their own means. We see this in scripture. Um, so I would love maybe for us to kind of lean in that direction. Where in scripture do you guys feel like you really see women elevated or, um, yeah, just scriptural evidence for that? glad you specified where we were going because I was going to get on my soapbox about working. You can get on a soapbox. Um, I was going to respond to that too, but go ahead. Do it. Do it. Well, I, like, I just go back to 
how we were all created in God's image. So that's the stay-at-home mom. That's the stay-at-home dad. Those exist. Um, that's the working mom. That's the working dad. That's the single woman. The single ma- like all of us are created in His image, and so when we isolate gender roles um, based on how we were raised, or based on what we think Scripture says, or based on what we were um, taught growing up, we're missing a piece of who God is. Um, and I've learned so much about that just in recent months of becoming a mother. I'm like, wow, stay-at-home mom, like, y'all are killing it. Three months was long enough for me. Like, it was, it's, it's not easy. And so oftentimes I think we can denigrate, like, stay-at-home moms and vice versa with working moms. But in both categories, in all categories, there's pieces of God that we can um, highlight and elevate and appreciate and grow from. Um, and so it's another area that I'm learning a lot about. Um, but one of my favorite scripture passages or one of my favorite stories in the Bible um, is the woman at the well. And I just think about, I've heard that passage preached so many different ways. Um, pastors, you know, will describe her background in different ways. But nonetheless, the impact that she had on so many people because she could not wait to tell her people, oh my gosh, like you won't believe who I just ran into and the experience that I just had. Like Jesus used her and he wasn't even supposed to be talking to her. Um, that was very much frowned upon at that time period. And so again, it touches on crossing cultures and the power behind that. And um, I was about to go off on another um, tangent, but that would be one for me that I would just say um, highlights women. I'm going to tag on that and then add another. The story of the woman at the well is one of my favorites. I did, there was a book that came out. I had some women at my church. They were going to study uh, the making of biblical womanhood. And I started the first chapter and I was like, I don't need any more stories to tell me about how women have been put down and how over history and all this kind of stuff. I need to be taken to the word. And like told the women, I was like, y'all have fun. I can't go there because I've lived this out on many levels. And so I found this study called Jesus and Women, and basically, um, and I'm not a video person, but it's got a video series, and I thought it's worth it. And I love what she did is she went back to the historical context of so many things in Scripture, and one of the stories was the woman at the well. And basically, law had it that even the spit of a woman was bad. Like, it's just the way it was. There's more to it than just that. So when Jesus takes the cup from the woman... He's restoring her. He's bringing justice to that situation. And he, um, you know, to put it bluntly, he's like, yeah, that's bunk. I'm, I'm, I'm going to break that because I'm going to allow this woman to engage with me. And so I think that's one of the things when I see Jesus interacting with women, he is drawing them out. The other passage that I was just thinking about was, is the story of Hagar in Genesis. The beauty of that story to me is... And I, you know, again, studied it multiple times, heard it at enough women's retreats to probably choke a horse, which is fine. It is a great passage. Don't get me wrong. Got to put on my wisdom glasses. Okay, so the part that I love, so Sarah's basically been brutal to her 
could have abused her physically, like you name it. There's an issue of women going on here in this passage. You know, Sarah, our beloved woman. Um, but basically, Hagar runs, and she's like, I'm, there's a point where it's at verse 6, chapter 16, it says, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. He went after her. She flees. In the light of the role of her role as basically um, her servant, Sarah had the ability to do whatever she wants, which that's a whole different story in and of itself. But the angel seeks her out. And I think that's the piece that I resonate most with is Jesus engages me where I'm at. Regardless of what I've heard growing up, regardless of what I've seen in the church, um, regardless of the stereotypes that, like, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and that's your dream, that's great. You do that and you do it well. But the, I think what we've done in the church is we've said this is the biblical thing and we have put down other roles or ideas and it basically it's elevating one and I'm like that is not what the Lord calls us to Jesus does not call us to interact like that and I think that's when we put this word biblical around it I'm like I don't think there's anything in scripture that talks about that so I'll pause on that that's so good I think too as you guys were talking I just was thinking about um, even in the story the narrative narrative of Jesus's life the first person to know that Jesus was coming was a woman. The last, the people who, who saw him first at the resurrection were women. Like they're just, if we put on our cultural reading lenses as we look at scripture, the way that, that the story is written of Jesus's life, the, the way that he engages women, the placement of women in specific stories is not an accident and it's super countercultural. Um, women in this, in this time of Jesus' life were, were second-class citizens. They didn't matter. And so for Jesus to um, engage the woman who, the prostitute, who's crying at his feet, wiping her, wiping his feet with her hair, with her tears um, at a Pharisee's house, I mean, just that imagery um, is, is insane that Jesus would engage her in that setting. And it, it like Carrie said, it restores her honor. Um, and so... I think if anything, we can answer the question that does Christianity denigrate women? If anything, it does the opposite. In a culture that put women down, and in cultures that put women down, it elevates and restores women to their place of honor, which is equal in the kingdom of God. And I think our pastor at church said something really poignant this week, um, that if you take the gendered language out of the Bible, that, that strips away what I'm, just, what I'm talking about. Because God tells us that we are, inher- we are to inherit the kingdom of God. And who receives the inheritance of God? Or who receives inheritance in, in the um, time of Jesus? It's the firstborn male son. And so for, for Jesus to say, you will receive the kingdom of God to men and women, I mean, people were probably falling out. That's crazy. Um, so just even that, like that countercultural um, reversal that Jesus is, is giving in his life towards women, I think, I think we often miss it because we don't breathe through the lens of culture. Um, so, I'll throw in this when Christy said this. I primarily work within uh, countries that are Muslim by like 90%. 
And those that I've interacted with in the Jesus film, there's the scene with the woman uh, wiping Jesus' feet. And they said they'll sit and watch with Muslim brothers and sisters. Well, the Muslim men will watch with the Muslim men, and the Muslim women will watch with the Muslim women. But how uncomfortable that is for them. Almost so much they want to fast forward through it. And it's just, it's like a woman is touching a man. Bad. Absolutely bad. And it's a prophet in their eyes, and it's the prophet Jesus. And it's like, why is he allowing this? But what's interesting is I found out there was a woman in Jordan that basically when she shows the scene, she talks through it because she's basically pointing out how Jesus draws women in. Because in many women within the Muslim culture, it's like, why would I even consider that a man would care for me? And so that reality to be able to see Jesus, the prophet Jesus, caring for them and drawing them out and allowing him to be touched by her, again, counterculture, way different. And I think that's the part that we can miss when we read the scriptures. We can just kind of read it as words, but when we put those cultural lenses on and we see how different it is. Yeah, I think too, um, just along with that, and in, in my work overseas with, with um, the global church, I've seen, I mean, far and away, the women are the ones leading the charge with evangelism often. And that's not to downplay men. You know, men have a lot of responsibilities, especially in places like South Asia. They have to work. They have to do things that prevent them often from, from being the ones to take the step um, but to see that women in Muslim context, women in Hindu context, they can get into places that often men can't because of the gender division in these places. And in the global church, y'all, women are, they're doing the work. And it's really exciting to see. And, and again, I don't say that to shame the men there or in this room, but I just say that to, to encourage you that God is using women. And I don't think that's an accident. Um, I don't think that's... Um, a coincidence, but um, God is using women because he values them and they matter in his kingdom. And so, um, yeah, I just say that to be encouraging. So any other thoughts? We probably have time for like one more thought, Ashley, if you have it. I feel like you do. Um, I, I don't know how y'all are going to receive this, but I just had a Tupac lyrics pop up in my mind as you were talking um, that made me think about how literally every single one of us in this room came from a woman, like everybody. Whether we know the woman that we came from or not, that's where we came from. Um, and just thinking about how at the, in the very beginning, God was like, okay, I've got this man and he's doing his thing and I have great plans for him. He needs a helper. And I think sometimes we can minimize helper as in like, okay, well, Adam is the um, dominant one in this relationship and Eve is kind of just the little sidekick. Whenever he's lacking, she kind of steps in and helps. Um, but that just made me think about like, wherever you are in the room, male or female, like it's been said, God wants to meet you where you are when it comes to this topic. And so um, whatever that looks like, if that's trying to have a better grasp on how can I better work with my female classmates? Um, how can I better love my sister or my mother or um, a professor? Or um, how can we better work together to be a more clear representation of the gospel? Like, I think that's what's at the root of all of this, like Chrissy said, not to um, elevate or minimize one gender over the other, but oftentimes 
we don't elevate the female gender. And so that's why we're talking about it. Um, and so I just hope that everybody tonight, you're able to leave with something or one next step wherever you are when it comes to this topic um, that helps you grow closer to the Lord. I think there is one thing, I think in a room this size, you've probably heard a variety of thoughts on this topic. I think there could be things you're like, oh, I didn't realize that, or an anger or frustration could rise up. Maybe within five, ten years, you're going to look back on a situation. I think one of the things that as I'm looking at our culture right now, especially within Christianity and the bride of Christ, forgiveness is needed. And that's not, forgiveness is not a matter of sweep it under the rug, move on. It's more of a matter of engaging in the hard conversation of conflict, which we all love. Some of us more than others. I'm not one of them. Um, but just this reality of how do we move towards somebody to say, I forgive that person from 10 years ago for that stupid comment of a guy saying, you got to spit to me because I'm a guy. It's like, how can I release that? Because I ask forgiveness from the Lord often. And so that reality of, Maybe that person's grown and changed, or maybe they haven't. But is that really mine to deal with? So I think there's a level of, like, can we walk in forgiveness over the pains that have, have happened? But it doesn't mean that you just sweep them aside and ignore them. You can still speak up for the injustice that you see. You, honestly, there have been men that have stood up for me when I've been talked over in a meeting. Literally, I'm going to speak, and a man talks over me. It's like, hey, do you realize you just cut Carrie off in that conversation? And I'm like, I'm seen. And so, and I think that means so much, but I think those are the things that you can begin to do to elevate and allow each other to be walking out the image of the creator in each one of us. Yeah, I think, I'll just say this in closing, I think I, I can't add a ton more because I think there's a lot of wisdom in what was just said, but I would just challenge all as you walk away, as you marinate on what was said or what was shared, um, to ask yourself the question, what does it say to a world that is... Um, separated from Christ that does not have the gospel about the way that you treat women, whether they're believers or not, but, but how do your interactions with women um, communicate God's love to a, to a desperate and dying world? Um, I think that's a good place to start. So um, I'm going to land us there, but Carrie, will you pray for us? I can't. I didn't I ask her were, ahead of that's time. Fine. Father God, we come to you just with a sensitive topic and our hearts wrestling through what does it mean to know how you see us as women. Father, I pray more than anything that you would be the author and perfecter of our faith and that you would allow us to wrestle with this topic in community and ask questions to go deeper and to find out what it is that you say about us and how do we honor each other in community and how do we live this out 10 to 15 years from now. Uh, may you continue to grow us into your likeness and may we shine brightly for your kingdom. It's in your son's mighty name we pray. Amen.